1: It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, March 12, 2012. Had a fantastic weekend on the uh, Minnesota, North Dakota border near Grand Forks. Oh, man. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebrew and I am your servant in Jesus Christ and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said and done out there and we also have a tendency to cover some of the top religion stories out there as well and we try to have a little bit of fun along the way and teach you how to open up your bible read and listen to things in context fighting for the faith is a well it's a study in critical thinking but good critical thinking we when we hear the word critical we think oh i don't want to be critical (laughs) you need to be somewhat critical i mean we all are i mean seriously i mean when you're when you have insomnia and you're flipping channels at night and you come across, you know, the latest and greatest infomercial offering you the special new gizmo that will cut your lawn, make coffee and toast at the same time and all for only 3 easy payments of 19.99. Do you think that that it really does that. I mean, you, you, you understand what I'm saying. You can sit there going, uh yeah, uh-huh. it usually sounds too good to be true. And see, that's the idea. We've all heard that saying. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And so we, all of us, exercise, well, critical thinking skills on a day-to-day basis. Now, one of the things that's happening in the church right now is that there's a lot of people out there who call themselves conservatives. And what I mean by that is they're conservative well when it comes to things like the constitution of the united states always fascinates me that there's a whole group of people out there who you know who are republicans or you know libertarians they're in the conservative spectrum and they are pounding their fists saying we need politicians who are strict constructionists when it comes to the constitution of the united states of america now to which i would say amen i think they're absolutely right I think you know we ought not be monkeying with the uh, the constitution of the United States by engaging in postmodern obfuscation uh, by denying the fixed meanings of words. Okay, that's what you know the other side does. But what's weird to me is that those same people will show up at church and on a Sunday after Sunday basis their pastors, and teachers and people like that are not strict constructionists when it comes to something as important as the Bible. Yeah, in other words, their pastors are very liberal in in how they handle the biblical text. You know, basically pouring into the Bible all kinds of bizarre, crazy meanings, as if the biblical words don't mean what they say. You know, instead they can just, you know, say whatever they wanted to say about the Bible. You know, they play Bible hopscotch, which, by the way, I heard from a listener that was a technique that somebody uses and I stole the phrase. I said I was going to steal it. So I'm stealing it by the way. Thanks, Cal, but for the uh for the uh for the uh phrase. But anyway, so the idea here is is that they play Bible hopscotch, they play Bible twister, you know, their pastor does all of this kind of stuff and yet they pound their fists. We need strict constitutional constructionists. Maybe the reason why there's not so many strict constitutional constructionists out there is because People who call themselves politically conservative have taught their themselves and their family, and as a result, they're, you know, people that they influence, uh, that uh, words don't really have meanings, and they started that, and they taught that by teaching something, you know, that the Bible can mean whatever you want it to mean. You, you get what I'm saying? So, anyway, kind of a. You know, quick little monologue to kind of make a particular point. You know, if if you're going to be a strict constructionist when it comes to something, well, as important as, well, the Constitution, and it's important. Uh, don't you think you ought to be a strict constructionist when it comes to something even more important? And that's the Bible. I mean, think about it. I mean you how long are you going to be in the United States of America if you happen to live here? Now, I understand there's a lot of you out there who, you know, you listen to Fighting for the Faith and go, I'm not American. I, I know, I know. I'm just trying to make a point. And, uh, you know, the point is this is that, you know, you're going to be on this planet, you know, what, 60, 70, 80, 90 years? I mean, you know, not a lot of us are going to be 90 years old, but you, you get what I'm saying. Okay. And you're going to spend eternity. You know, in either heaven or hell or, you know, with Christ or, well, in the lake of fire. And so, uh, you know, that being the case, um, which document do you think is more important that you're a good strict constructionist with the Constitution or the Bible? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bible anyway. Anyway. All right, so like I said at the opening of the program today, um spent the weekend uh, away from the pirate cave, landlocked here somewhere, you know, in the secret bowels of the center of Indiana. And uh, and and I spent the the weekend at uh, near Grand Forks, North Dakota. Actually, I spent the night in Grand Forks and then during the day we commuted to Oslo, Minnesota, right across the Red River, which, by the way, flows north. I, I did not know that. Anyway, uh, so yeah, did not know the Red River flows north. I think it's like the on, one of the only river or the only river in the United States that flows north, but uh, was uh, at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and uh, we uh, was invited to do a discernment weekend. We had several listeners show up, uh, and it was just a fantastic, fantastic weekend great group of people um i i don't think i've taught that much in a short amount of time uh in my entire career as uh, as, as as a teacher within the in the christian church it was like uh it was like f- <laughs> five sunday school lessons just crashed into you know, you know a very short amount of time and uh in one of the sunday school lessons uh, one of the lessons that we did uh, very complicated. I tried to give a, an overview, you know, basic, you know, philosophical grasp of, of, uh, of post-modernity. And, yeah, uh, <laughs> poor, I feel bad for the folks out there at Kongsvinger. They were looking at me like, huh? <laughs> I don't get it. I know you, it's hard to get. <laughs> anyway, but a great, great group of people. Fantastic event. And, uh, you know, just really, really, really a fantastic uh uh, weekend, so um, you know. They, hello to the folks there in Oslo, Minnesota, and Grand Forks, North Dakota, and uh, those of you who travel from Bismarck and from around the uh, the region who to, uh, to came to uh, to come to listen to me uh, uh, teach. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, your support and for uh, showing up and and really making the event just a spectacular, spectacular time. Okay, so let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. So, you know, to, you know. So you understand. I was out of town. Okay, I left Friday morning. I came back last night, and uh, purposely stayed off of Facebook. Purposely stayed off of Twitter. Purposely stayed off of my email. I get into the studio this morning. Hey, and it was like boom. There's there's just all this explosion of more, more stuff about this Way document. Um, Jim uh, Jim Hinch of the Orange County Register has written a follow up article that was published over the weekend at, uh, at the Orange County uh, Register website as well as in the paper itself. Uh, Jim Hinch took an opportunity, uh, took the opportunity to publish more of the King's Way document. Uh, Rick Warren, in anticipation of Jim Hinch's article, uh, published kind of a you know a preemptory strike denying things regarding the king's way document and uh it was the king's way thing and got to tell you you know a jihad Turk of the Islamic Society of Southern California he's weighed in and uh it and so you know it's like what on earth to do about this and then Amy Spreeman Amy Spreeman of the uh, of uh, standing for the truth um man uh, she's put together a couple of blog posts on her uh, website that just kind of crack open this whole thing more and give us some more context. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend what remains of the first hour sifting through all of this stuff and I've got a theory as to what it is that we're looking at coming out of uh Saddleback Church. And uh and you know I'll I'll, I'll tell you what I think it is. I you know I think we're experiencing Saddleback Church basically taking the, the principles taught in Brian McLaren's book, A Generous Orthodoxy, and applying them in some way uh, to their peace plan initiative. And so, there, I mean, there's something going on. And Rick Warren's side of the story, well, his claims and his uh, denials don't add up. And the reason why they don't add up is because there is physical, tangible evidence that shows that what he's saying is not in accord with reality. Now, that being said, there's some things that Jim Hinch has, his some of his conclusions, um, you know, after reading what Jihad Turk wrote on his website, uh, some of Jim Hinch's conclusions, I think, may not exactly be correct. But at the same time, you can't, uh, the the language of this initiative, uh, this King's Way thing is so vague that uh i'm convinced that the the average ordinary joe on the street um could easily misinterpret what it is they're saying it makes you wonder if you know if what we're experiencing here again is you know uh Brian McLaren's generous orthodoxy in action rather than in words and so you know i i i'm going to try to sort through all of this that's what we're going to do for the first hour and then for hour number 2 we're going to be doing a sermon review the Cathedral of Frisco, yeah, yeah, yeah. Keith Craft, uh, you know the uh, the head vision caster at the uh, the Mariachi Trench, also known as the Cathedral of Frisco, um, has uh, <laughs> has a sermon on increase. How God wants to increase you, and uh, he's oh you know, man. So you know that's what we're gonna do on today's edition of, of Fighting for the Faith. I apologize in advance. This is kind of a complicated. Program. There's a lot of moving parts, and it's my intention, you know, as we cover the uh, the data that's you know that's been put out there, you know, to basically examine it and say, okay, that's that's not exactly correct, and I think there's a little bit of uh, that we could say that Jim Hinch is misinterpreted, especially in light of in light of Jihad Turk's public statements. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Grab some popcorn. You know, maybe a beanbag and some Cheetos if you'd like to blog about this later, of course. And if you're if you're running low by the way on blogging supplies, again, visit fightingforthefaith.com. Uh fightingforthefaith.com. And uh over on the right-hand side of our website at fightingforthefaith.com, we have a supply depot for maternal basement living opinion givers. And uh which includes, you know, things like a beanbag, a good Apple laptop computer, Cheetos, uh, you, know, you, you know, carpet for your mother's basement and stuff like that. You, you, Mountain Dew. I mean, uh, all of the necessary things in order for you to blog about this correctly. So, yeah, if you don't have those supplies, again, click on one of the you know, the, the products there. And keep in mind, when you when you supply uh, your maternal basement living opinion giver using our Supply Depot at FightingForTheFaith.com, a small portion of uh, the proceeds goes to support Fighting For The Faith. Just wanted to let you know that.
2: Like to build the world a home
3: and it with love apple trees and, and snow white
1: yeah I've decided this is going to be our music that we use for anything that has to do with the Rick Warren peace plan or the King's Way document Theme song for the Coexist movement. Mm-hmm. All right, enough of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm crossing over into a gratuitous musical interlude there. Okay, so we're going to be talking. Eh, oh man, this is a complicated story with a lot, a lot, a lot. Of moving pieces. So, kind of kind of how this went down, okay, is that on the eve of uh, Jim Hinch's second article in the Orange County Register, uh, Rick Warren and the folks at Saddleback uh, launched a preemptive strike, if you would, and uh, sent out uh, a response that's posted at the pastors.com website uh, that uh, anticipates what Jim Hinch is about to do. And so, uh, let me read that first so you kind of get the idea here a week ago a reporter published an article in the orange county register about saddleback church that contained many errors and false assumptions it erroneously stated that we have a partnership with a local muslim mosque that is false it erroneously reported that we had agreed to not evangelize with muslims that is false it erroneously reported that we believe saddleback and muslims worship the same god that is false by the way okay i want to i want to Key in on this statement. It erroneously reported that we believe uh, Saddleback and Muslims worship the same God. That is false. Now, here's the deal. I've spent a lot of time talking with different sources that were cited in Jim Hinch's article. Okay, uh, I have had a private email exchange with Rick Warren. And I am convinced that Jim Hinch misinterpreted the document. Now, after listening to all of these different sides... What I've been told is that the the purpose of the document was uh, to affirm that both Christianity and Muslims affirm monotheism, belief in one God. They see that as common ground, um, which is kind of silly because I mean, you know, I, you know, somebody could say they I only believe in one God. It's Zeus, and and they'd be a monotheist, but would they have any common ground with a Christian on that part of it? Like, no. So, you know, here's the deal. How, you know, you know, Jim Hinch, to the best of my knowledge, is not a theologian. Okay? Now, he may be, but I, you know, in my conversations with him, he didn't strike me as a theologian. He struck me as a guy who's been trained vocationally to be a journalist. And based on the document that he had in his hand, the King's Way document, um which you know, which we covered some of the language of it, you know, who you know, and you can see this at the they they published some pretty extensive excerpts from the Kingsway document at the Orange County Register website. You can find it there if you look for it. And according to the document itself or the excerpts published at the Orange County Register. Register website, it reads, This document was put together in an attempt to improve our values of loving neighbor and cooperation. We acknowledge that we may not agree on everything and some words might have different meanings. However, there are sufficient similarities to come to a common word on common ground in order to serve the common good together. That's how, that's kind of in the preamble of the document. So, one, who? We believe in one God. God is one, and then it quotes Mark twelve twenty nine and Muhammad forty seven nineteen. God is the Creator. Genesis one. Uh, Al Shura forty two eleven. So you, you get the point. We talked about this language uh, last week. So here's the deal. The question is, is that the way this is written? And I would say that this is written in a very similar uh, way in which the Christian response to a common word between us was written. Which Rick Warren is a signatory on. You know, if somebody who had been there, you know, and had seen this presentation at Saddleback, would they have come to the conclusion? Could they have erroneously come to the conclusion? Hey, wait a second. Sounds like they're saying they believe in the same God. Based on the vagaries of the way the document's written and the parallel passages from both the Bible and the, you know, and the Quran. It could easily, yeah, somebody could easily misinterpret that. And I think that's what Jim Hinch did. I think he saw the document, and it, it to you based upon the we's, the we believe in one God, we believe in one God. That sentence in itself makes it sound like they're saying they believe in the same God. You know, if they wanted to, you know, it's it would have been really simple for them to clear this up, and that would have been to use more precise language. Rather than saying, talking about the who we believe in, we can say you know Christianity and Islam both affirm monotheism which would have been clear ah okay no no there would be no way to misinterpret that both religions are monotheistic religions ah, ha, ha, ha. you see but they chose language here that anyway so when when Rick Warren at the saddleback uh, website or the pastors.com website says that um it is erroneously reported that we believe Saddleback and Muslims worship the same God. I would agree with them here. I would say yes. I think that was an erroneous statement. But the 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 erroneousness of that statement was created uh, it, by the vagaries of the King's Way document. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> uh, let's see here. Now, n- next denial. Uh, Saddleback writes: It is erroneously it, it erroneously used a picture of our new peace center as the example of a program of cooperation with Muslims. Boy, that's a uh, craftily written sentence. It erroneously used a picture of our new peace center as a as the example of a program of cooperation with Muslims. By the way, the photograph in question uh, is a photograph that pictures both uh, Jihad Turk of the Islamic Center of Southern California and Abraham Muhlenberg, of Saddleback Church. Abraham Mühlenberg, it or both of them are pictured on stage together and there's a PowerPoint slide in being projected into the background. You know, they have a, one of those screens that has been dropped out of the uh, ceilings. And so and on the PowerPoint slide it says King's Way. Now, I want you to listen carefully again. King's Way describes a path to end the 1400 years of misunderstanding between Muslims and Christians by consulting the text of each, (laughs) uh, by consulting the text of each, uh, that each call sacred in order to form a basis that allows us the privilege to serve the needs in our community together. Okay. So, I mean, there, there's photographic evidence. By the way, you could tell this is at Saddleback and Saddleback has affirmed that the photograph was taken at Saddleback's new peace center. So we know that it was at Saddleback. We know that the photograph was taken at Saddleback's Peace center. We also know that this, you know, that on stage is jihad Turk of the Islamic Society of Southern California and Abraham Muhlenberg interfaith pastor at Saddleback Church. They're both on stage, and there is a PowerPoint slide that's discussing the King's Way and says that it's a path to end the 14 years, 100 years of miscommunication by consulting the text that we each call sacred in order to form the basis that allows us the privilege to serve the needs of our community together. So when Rick Warren says that uh, that... That it erroneously used a picture of our new peace center as the, as the example of a program of cooperation with Muslims. I mean, just look at the photograph, and it's clear that <laughs> that what's going on there on stage. I mean, you know, the text on the PowerPoint slide tells you what's going on. Weird though. So that 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 denial by Saddleback doesn't ring true. And it erroneously reported that our church had agreed to a theological document with Muslims that is false. Okay. Let me read the preamble again from the Kingsway document. This document was put together in an attempt to improve our values of loving neighbor and and cooperation. We acknowledge that we may not agree on everything, and some words might have different meanings. However, there are sufficient similarities to come to a common word on common ground in order to serve the common good together. Okay. All right, so Saddleback and Warren continue. Usually, we try to ignore the false statements made by media and especially irresponsible bloggers. And that's right, those irresponsible bloggers out there—they live in their mom's basement. They're hateful human beings. They obviously don't even get out of their jammies on a daily basis. By the way, I'm I'm suspecting that if you're a maternal basement living opinion giver, and you know you're you're irresponsible because you know obviously you know you're in your middle age, you're in your 40s, and you still live in your mom's basement, that you probably are you know wearing Star Wars jammies or Star Trek jammies, something like that. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> so uh, so uh, we usually try to ignore the false statements made by media and especially irresponsible bloggers because, one, reacting to every false report would take up most of our time. It's almost impossible to under, undo an error's damage once it's on the Internet, and God knows – The truth, and he is the only one that we must please. And it is Christ-like to remain silent in the face of false accusation. God blesses us even more every time we trust him with our defense. And six, we have far more important tasks to accomplish with our time. When opponents publicly attacked and openly criticized Nehemiah for the work God had assigned him... (laughs) <laughs> Typical seeker-driven... Uh, you know, by the way, this is r- straight out of the seeker-driven playbook, by the way, which I have a copy of. Um, when uh, when opponents publicly, o- publicly attacked and openly criticized Nehemiah for the work that God had assigned to him, notice he's likening himself to me- Nehemiah. Nehemiah responded wisely, saying, I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project, and the work is far too important for me to stop and respond to you. Why should the work stop while I leave it and meet with you? So when people have already decided to not... Not like you, yeah, <laughs> yeah. See, that's the problem. Yeah, see, all those bloggers and and Jim Hinch. See, their problem was they had already decided to not like Saddleback. See, they just don't like it, and so you know that's the problem. Anyway, uh, they only get more defensive and angry. It's a waste of your breath. We've seen this during the past week, but because you value the truth, I agreed to do an interview and correct the errors of the article that I send uh, and send it to you. Of course, anything I write to you also goes public once my interview was released. The I hate Saddleback bloggers. Now, see, now they're down to just bloggers. Okay, now, now they're the I hate Saddleback bloggers. So, if you're a blogger and you've ever said anything critical of Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, or any of the people on staff there at Saddleback, You're now part of the I Hate Saddleback group. By the way, this is an ad hominem attack. Uh, They refused to accept the facts, and they began looking for something else to attack or to claim that I had lied. Since I wasn't asked in the interview about the fifth error, has Saddleback signed a theological agreement? Now, funny, I don't remember in Jim Hinch's uh, article or in any of the media, real media coverage about this, the statement being made that Saddleback had signed a theological statement. I know that Warren signed the Christian response to a common word between us. He He's definitely a signatory on that. But I don't recall any, I don't recall saying, oh yeah, the folks there at Saddleback, they signed a theological agreement. Hmm. Anyway, so the bloggers began looking for a loophole or even a cover-up. Of course, Saddleback has never agreed to any theological document with Muslims or else the elders and I would have seen it first. No agreement or document could possibly be approved without our consent, but the first time our elders and I even heard of a document was from the article. So this week, I tracked down the rumor, and here's what I found. Here's And so this is the, the understanding. A member of Saddleback started a Bible study called The King's Way with some of our Muslim friends. During the study, they started writing down things they noticed Muslims, Jews, and Christians might have in common. They noticed that all three claim to believe in the great commandment, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. All three accept the Old Testament as Scripture, and Muslims claim to accept the New Testament also. Uh, Not really, uh, Rick. And all three are monotheistic, one God, not many. Well that's true you know the, the, the Judaism Christianity and Islam are considered the three great monotheistic religions so they presented these thoughts at the Bible studies Christmas dinner in December that's it end of story it went no further no document was signed i don't recall anyone saying that a document was signed though no agreement was made i don't uh, Recall the original story saying that there was an agreement made. No covenant was approved. I don't recall the coverage saying that there was a covenant approved either. It was just two men sharing their observations at the Bible study dinner regarding what Muslims, Jews, and Christians have in common. Okay, now here's the next part. That's a huge difference from the way it was reported. It was not a new partnership. It was not a theological covenant. It was not a new religion called Chrislam. I agree it wasn't. The fact is, the Bible study discussion paper was never even seen, get this, By anyone on Saddleback's leadership team, consisting of 40 pastors, on Saddleback's pastors management team, 14 pastors, Saddleback's trustees, six business leaders, or Saddleback's elders, seven pastors. Okay. Again, um, I point to the fact that um, the photograph Of the event that took place, by Rick Warren's own admission, at Saddleback's brand-new Peace Center, the two men on stage are, well, Jihad Turk of the Islamic Center of Southern California, as well as Abraham Muhlenberg, the pastor for interfaith relations at Saddleback Church. He's I'm sorry, but Rick Warren is trying to make it sound like that, you know, just two two guys, you know, some some Muslim dude and and some, you know, some, you know, just some guy at Saddleback. We don't we don't even know who he is. You know, it's just some weird person, you know, decided that he was going to hold a Bible study with Muslims and, the, and, and some Muslims showed up. And, you know, they were and while they were studying the Bible, they go, wow, you know, we have a lot in common. But but again, let me read the statement. Okay, I mean it's okay. It was not a theological covenant. This is recorded. It was not a new religion called Chrysalm. The fact is, the Bible study discussion paper was never, ever, never even seen by anyone on Saddleback's leadership team—40 pastors. Saddleback's pastors' management team—14 pastors. Saddleback's trustees or Saddleback's elders. Um, is Abraham Muhlenberg a pastor at Saddleback or not? Okay, because here's the deal. I've got photographs of Abraham Muhlenberg teaching in France in June of last year. And it it basically promoting him as a saddleback pastor. Is he a saddleback pastor or not? Okay, it's not just two random dudes. Okay, Um, in fact, Abraham Turk. Uh, Not Abraham. Jihad Turk is the director of religious affairs at the Islamic Center of Southern California. He's also the interim dean of Bayan College, an Islamic graduate program at Claremont Lincoln University. So it's not like he's just some, you know, small group guy who showed up and decided to have a Bible study with, um, you know, Muslim – with a Christian from Saddleback. I mean, the people in question – are Abraham Turk a pastor at Saddleback and a pretty high ranking guy at the Islamic Center of Southern California. So something something ain't adding up here. Something ain't adding up here at all. So now Rick Warren then throws Jim Hinch under the bus. Predictably to defend himself after my interview, uh after my interview corrected his errors, the Orange County Register reporter released a segment of the so-called document to the I hate saddleback bloggers giving them a supposed smoking gun. Unfortunately, he forgot to ask if any saddleback pastors had actually signed or even seen this paper. Well, I'm assuming if if Abraham Mühlenberg and Jihad Turk were the guys discussing the paper that that would qualify as a saddleback pastor who had seen the document. Don't you? It's just weird here. It's just really weird. Anyway, so I mean that's so that's Rick Warren's spin released just on the eve of Jim Hinch's Second article. Here's Jim Hinch's second article, by the way. Effort to reach out to Muslims stirs outcry by Jim Hinch, Orange County Register. An outreach effort to Muslims initiated by Saddleback Church in Lake Forest has sparked a national uproar among evangelical Christians, with some accusing the Reverend Rick Warren, Saddleback's pastor, of betraying core Christian principles, and Warren responding that his beliefs and intentions have been misrepresented. Sounds fair. Since an Orange County Register article published on February 26th detailed the outreach effort, evangelicals across the country have taken to blogs, social media, and Christian news outlets to debate whether and how Christians should forge relationships with people of other faiths. Long-time critics of Warren have published lengthy online accusations that the influential pastor who delivered the invocation at President Barack Obama's 2009 inauguration has gone too far In seeking theological common ground with Muslims on Saturday, seeking to respond to this article, Saddleback sent its members a written statement from Warren that said negative reaction to Saddleback's work with Muslims is the result of poor reporting and the willingness of irresponsible bloggers who hate us... (laughs) to automatically believe anything negative about our church. It seems a little simplistic, doesn't it? Anyway, Warren said in the statement, when people have already decided to not like you, nothing you say will change their minds. Not the truth, not facts, not proof or logic. They only get more defensive and angry. And we've seen this during the past week. Chris Rosebroom, that would be me, a religious studies graduate of Concordia University in Irvine, who hosts an online Christian radio talk show in Indianapolis, said that response to Saddleback's outreach as, quote, created a national, even an international uproar. Looking at the Christian blogosphere, this is the number one viral story. That's exactly what I said. Warren, through a spokesman, declined repeated requests by phone and email to be interviewed both for this article and the Register's February 26th story. Following publication of that article, Warren posted a comment on the Register's website saying that the story contained multiple errors. Warren's comment did not specify the errors. In a series of phone conversations, on February 27th, David Sean, Warren's chief of staff, told this reporter and a register editor that the story was factually correct, except in its statement that Warren believes Christians and Muslims worship the same God. It would be more accurate to state that Christians and Muslims both believe in one God, Sean said. Yep. So there it is, okay? Jim Hinch has basically said It was David Sean, Warren's chief of staff, in a conversation on February 27th who said, quote, that the story was factually correct, except the statement that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Sean asked the register, asked that the register publish a correction to the story, but later withdrew the request. Four days later, Warren issued a written statement seeking to clarify both his views and the scope of the outreach effort. Quote, some of our members have hosted a Bible study with Muslim friends, which I applaud, but I've never been to it. And a Bible study certainly isn't any kind of partnership or merger, Warren wrote in the statement, which was posted on the Christian Post, a Christian news site. Warren said that he does not believe Muslims and Christians worship the same God. We worship Jesus as God. Muslims don't, he wrote, and our God is Jesus, not Allah. And I've uh, I've applauded Warren for making this clear. Which I think he needed to do. Warren wrote that the outreach effort is not a partnership with Muslims, but rather an informal expression of Saddleback's overall intention to, quote, build friendships with everyone in our community, including Muslims and other faiths, unquote. The goal of the story uh, of such relations is to make the gospel known to all people, Warren wrote. I'm commanded by my Savior to share the good news with all people, everywhere, all the time, in every way possible. Anyone who's heard me teach knows that my heart beats for bringing others to Jesus. Well, on Friday, the Register emailed Sean a summary of the story's content and invited him to respond to correct any factual inaccuracies. In a phone conversation with Sean on Friday, Register editor Ken Brusick offered to print a response from Saddleback alongside the story. Sean did not reply to the reporter's email and dis- and declined Brusick's offer. On Saturday, Saddleback emailed the church members a statement from Warren entitled, On Responding to False Accusations, the statement summarized what I called many errors and false assumptions in the register's February 26th story. The statement said Saddleback had not entered into a partnership with any local mosque, and has not agreed to, to not evangelize Muslims and has not entered into any theological agreement with Muslims. In a February 10th interview with the Register, Tom Holliday. So here's the date. February 10th. February 10th, before the first article was written, Jim Hinch spoke with Tom Holliday, who is the associate senior pastor at Saddleback. He described the outreach to Muslims as a multi-pronged effort that includes sharing meals at mosques during religious holidays and working together with Muslims on joint community service projects. Sounds a little bit more than just an informal Bible study, according to Tom Holliday, don't you think? And he said those words on February 10th. By the way, Jim Hinch could easily produce the um, uh, well, the proof that Tom Holliday said those things. Something ain't adding up here. Anyway, Holiday said the purpose of the effort was not to convert Muslims, but rather to, quote, work together to serve the community. Asked if the effort was done with Warren's knowledge and approval, Holiday replied, of course it has his approval. Hmm. So what Rick Warren is saying... And what David Sean has said and what Tom Holliday has said, those statements are not adding up. Somebody ain't telling the truth. So the most controversial part of the outreach efforts appeared to be a document outlining areas of shared belief between Christianity and Islam, Co-authored by Abraham Muhlenberg, a Saddleback pastor in charge of interfaith outreach and Jihad Turk, director of religious affairs at a mosque in Los Angeles. The document titled King's Way was unveiled at a December dinner at Saddleback attended by 300 Christians and Muslims, including Tom Holliday. Hmm. Um, according to Jim Hinch, Tom Holliday was one of the pastors in attendance. And they discussed the document at that dinner. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what Warren's saying ain't adding up. Continue. A-, a copy of the document was given to the register on condition that it not be published in its entirety. The document states that Christians and Muslims believe in one God and that members of both faiths agree there is only one God and the one and only divine being. The document cites side-by-side quotations from the Bible and the Quran to illustrate its statements. Critics, including Roseboro—that's me—and many of the more than 400 people who commented on the online edition of the Register article say that any suggestion that Christians and Muslims worship the same God amounts to an abandonment of Orthodox Christianity. Now, that is factually correct. There's a little bit more to it, though, okay? Okay. In my conversation with Jim Hinch, I made it clear that I thought that the problem was the vagaries of the the way the document was written. What it said created the misimpression that they were saying that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. It was because they were not being theologically precise with their definitions, okay? So just so you know that anyway, Christians believe that God exists as a trinity composed of father, son and Holy Spirit. Muslims believe that Jesus was the Messiah and a prophet, but they do not believe in the divinity of Jesus. Warren said in a statement Saturday, the Kingsway document has been misrepresented and does not constitute an agreement or a covenant between Saddleback and Muslims. The document Warren wrote was the result of a Bible study during which Saddleback's members and Muslims wrote down things that they noticed that Muslims and Jews and Christians might have in common. Those observations were presented at the Bible Studies Christmas dinner in December, Warren said. Warren said that neither he nor any of the Saddleback's 61 pastors in leadership positions at the church had heard of the document before the Register's February 26 story. Now, how can that be true if Tom Holliday was there at the event and Abraham Muellerberg was on stage with Jihad Turk discussing the document? Wouldn't that be two of Saddleback's pastors discussing it? And Tom Holliday is really high up in the ranks. And Tom Holliday on February 10th said that Warren was aware of all of this. This doesn't add up. So the post linked to a page at the online photo-sharing website Flickr that featured photos of the dinner, including one of Turk and Muhlenberg, addressing an audience beneath a projection on a screen that describes the Kingsway as a path to end 1,400 years of misunderstanding between Muslims and Christians. Following publication of the Register article, both the blog post and the Flickr page were taken down. In a recent interview, Turk said that he had received no negative response from the Muslim community to the statements in the document. In an early interview, Turk had emphasized that Muslims agreed to participate in the outreach effort because members of both faiths agreed to, quote, "...our purpose is not to convert one another, but rather to work on ways to make the world a better place by breaking down walls of misunderstanding." Hmm, making the world a better place is not exactly just an informal Bible study, is it? Shirin Taber, uh, a Saddleback member who attended some initial meetings of the outreach effort, said intense reaction to the Register article might stem from lack of clarity at Saddleback about the outreach effort's purpose. Taber, uh, the daughter of a Christian mother and Muslim father, said she ended up not joining the outreach effort because she wasn't comfortable with what she felt could be perceived by muslims as a two-faced approach forging relationships under the guise of friendship but later seeking to convert muslims to christianity i would hate to see muslims surprised by what it really is she said david mitchell senior pastor at calvary chapel in santa ana said he also was confused about the outreach effort's intentions after reading about it in online publications told about the king's way agreements the king's way agreements claim that christians and muslims believe in one god mitchell replied I would not sign my name to that or support that. It implies that Muslims and Christians have the same beliefs. To say Muslims and Christians believe in one God could lead to an incomplete or false view of the God of Scripture. Warren, in his March 2nd written statement, said Christians are obliged to reach out to all people regardless of their beliefs. Quote, I'm constantly trying to build a bridge of love to non-believers, to atheists, to gays, and to those who disagree with with politically and those of other faiths, we don't want we don't wait for these people to come to church. We want to go to them and share with them our on their turf, not ours. Before people trust Jesus, they must trust you. So there you go. Um, yeah, something just ain't adding up. In fact, there's I mean, here's the deal: I don't know how Rick Warren could make a statement publicly that none of the pastors at Saddleback knew about this when there's photographic evidence with Abraham Muhlenberg and Jihad Turk on the same stage at Saddleback's Peace Center. I mean, the word lie comes to mind. Anyway, all right, what I'm going to do real quick, I'm going to take a break and cool uh, and off for a second, and uh, when I come back, we're going to discuss this just a little bit more. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
0: No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
4: You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. You'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
2: Welcome to Build-A-God, how can I help you? Hello, I received a -A Build-A-God certificate for my birthday, so I'm here to build my own deity. Oh, this has got to be so exciting for you. Oh, it really is. Okay, let's get started. The first thing we have to do is determine whether your god is male female, or unisex. Men are pigs anyway, she has to be female. Great choice. Now we have to select some of the attributes of your goddess. What do you provide? Do you want her to be kind, loving, compassionate, just, angry, righteous, wrathful? The goddess I believe in would only be loving and kind. Perfect. Now is there any kind of sin that needs tending to by your goddess? Sin? You know, things like lying, cheating, stealing, murder, homosexuality. Well, I definitely want my goddess to be gay affirming. And sin itself just feels so negative. I'm a good person, and I think my goddess will think everyone else is too. Oh wonderful, your goddess is coming along beautifully. Now we have to get to the difficult questions. Does your goddess offer an afterlife? Yes, my goddess would let everyone go to heaven. Except for Hitler. Genghis Khan, my good-for-nothing ex-boyfriend. Oh, excellent, excellent! Now for the final step, you have to name your goddess. Hmm. I think I'm going to name her Jesus. Oh, wonderful! That's what everyone names their god.
1: We're back. Warning. Vague theological language creates vague theological interpretations, or erroneous ones. Just saying, you know. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means that we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring... This important radio outreach to you and to the world, and you can partner with us financially, if you don't already, by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. And when you get there, you're going to see our two famous friendly yellow buttons. Uh, Click on one of them. One says donate, the other says join our crew. The join our crew button, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 on a monthly basis to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, you do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send that to Post Office Box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 460. Okay, moving along, we're still in this discussion regarding this whole Kingsway thing because a whole bunch of new data has been dumped into the public discussion on this. And uh, most recently, Jihad Turk of the Islamic Center of Southern California has weighed in and has defined and publicly stated what his relationship is to Saddleback. From the Islamic Center of Southern California's website, the headline reads, The Islamic Center of Southern California Saddleback Church and Our Friendship by Jihad Turk. That's the gentleman who is pictured in the photograph at Saddleback's Peace Center on stage with Abraham Muhlenberg, a Saddleback pastor, discussing the Kingsway Initiative. Which is more than just an informal Bible study, as you're going to see from Jihad Turk. Jihad Turk writes, he says, When I was approached almost two years ago by Saddleback Pastor Abraham Muhlenberg, let me reread that again. When I was approached almost two years ago by Saddleback Pastor Abraham Muhlenberg, who expressed interest in not listen to this. He's not going to say Abraham Muhlenberg expressed interest in having an informal Bible study. That's not what he said. Abraham Muhlenberg, who expressed interest in exploring ways that we can bring our communities together in friendship, I welcomed the initiative. In this time of great fear, mistrust, and ignorance, I perceive an important and transformative potential in bringing together our communities of faith, distinctive as they are in certain respects, to both bridge the gap of understanding by getting to know one another and to become friends working together in an expression of our shared values. Many people, both Muslim and Christians, misunderstand why a religion such as Islam, which makes exclusive truth claims about the nature of God, i.e., that God is one, the Creator of all things, the Lord of Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, and all humanity, prophethood, i.e., the Mo- Moses, Jesus, and Muhammad, may God bless them, are all divinely inspired. Uh, human beings and revelation, i.e. the Quran is the final divinely inspired scripture, confirming in essence the Torah and the Gospels, would engage in interfaith relations in general with Saddleback Church in particular. Some view our community with an eye of suspicion, assuming that Muslims are focused upon world domination, the imposition of Sharia upon others, and the conversion of all humanity to Islam. It's not like the Quran says anything like that. Anyway, the truth of the matter is different. Let me explain our theology. First, We believe that it's God's will that there be diversity both in our physical beings as well as in our beliefs and that all human beings were endowed with dignity by God Almighty. Secondly, we believe that it is an affront to faith and contrary to God's commandment to try to impose belief on anyone for the true faith comes through a direct relationship with God. Thirdly, and consequently, our role as Muslims is nothing more than to convey the truth about the Islamic religion through both word and deed, and to work for the shared values of justice, compassion, freedom, and truth. So over the past couple of years, Saddleback Church, through Kingsway, has participated in a number of events with several local Muslim communities. I was invited to give a presentation at Saddleback Church alongside of Pastor Muhlenberg. You might have read reports that our friendship at Saddleback Church have been under attack for their Friendship with Muslims. Some of what has been reported is incorrect, namely that a discussion paper drafted in preparation for a presentation at one of our gather- gatherings was reported as an attempt to create a partnership for a new religion. Yeah, you know, that that's a false report. Yeah, you know, I don't. You know and by the way, we did not say that here. We did not say that Saddleback and the Muslims are partnering together to form a new religion. You know, all along we've been saying, yeah, that there there was a problem with the fact that the the document itself creates vagaries; it creates erroneous ideas. Anyway, so let's see here. All right, so then. Yeah, let me read that again. Some of what has been reported is incorrect, namely the discussion paper drafted in preparation for a presentation at one of our gatherings was reported as an attempt to create a partnership for a new religion. Of course, this is completely false. Muslims and Christians have significant theological differences, but we love our friends at Saddleback, and they love us. We don't gloss over our differences. We simply do not allow our differences to prevent mutual respect. So we listen to each other, and we value our friendship in spite of our different beliefs. As Muslims, we know that it is... What it is like to face false accusations and irresponsible attacks by people who refuse to accept the facts. So we appreciate Saddleback's desire to continue our friendship and love in spite of lies and vicious attacks by others. Islam and Christianity are both monotheistic faiths. We understand that each respectively are committed to both love God and love our neighbors. Our communities are committed to becoming friends, building peace, and serving the world together. So there you go. So Jihad Turk, by the way, mm -hmm. it's interesting His public statements do not corroborate Warren's. And what I mean by that is this. Let me read this again. Over the past couple of years, Saddleback Church through Kingsway has participated in a number of events with several local Muslim communities. I was invited to give a presentation at Saddleback Church alongside of Pastor Muhlenberg. So now Jihad Turk has affirmed, as if he needed to, because there's photographic evidence of him there discussing the Kingsway document. And he said it was discussed there. Get it? Something ain't right. I mean, at this point, I mean, I I don't know how Rick Warren can possibly, can possibly you know, literally, with a straight face, say that not one single pastor at Saddleback knew anything about that document. It was just an informal Bible study. Yeah, it sounds like it was a lot more than that. In fact, the photographic evidence and the corroborating evidence of Jihad Turk. In fact, Jihad Turk corroborates what Jim Hinch has said and has reported. Something ain't right. Okay, next piece of all of this From the the StandUpForTheTruth.com website, StandUpForTheTruth.com, Amy Spreeman um, has uh, written a blog post where she documents something that's rather disturbing, which I think adds a little bit more context to Abraham Muhlenberg's efforts regarding Islam, okay? The name of the story is, Why is a Saddleback Pastor Teaching on the Kingdom Circles? Now, I know you don't know what Kingdom Circles are. Some of you might know, but I mean, I'll be blunt. Until very recently, I had never heard of Kingdom Circles. (laughs) Okay, it's just not something that I had spent any time on. But if you go to Amy Spreeman's website, standupforthetruth.com, And you look for the March 12, 2012 article by Amy Spreeman entitled, Why is a Saddleback Pastor Teaching on the Kingdom Circles? You will find a photograph with Abraham Muhlenberg presenting at an ecumenical fellowship fellowship meeting in France, Uh, and behind him is what he's been writing on the whiteboard, and it has all these kingdom circles. Okay, and the the in fact the kingdom circle um, illustration or you know whiteboard uh, graphic that he created is well not just similar to but exact exactly identical to uh, conceptually to a video that Amy posted along there so that you can understand what it is. Now, if you here here's the deal. I'm going to play the audio for this very brief video. Let me explain what it is that you're seeing. However, if you have a moment, pause fighting for the faith. Go to your laptop, go to your iPad, go to your iPhone, go to standupforthetruth.com and go to this website so that you can see it because this is a visual presentation much more than an audio presentation and while I'm doing this on the radio, which means I can't do a perfectly good job of conveying visual you know visually what it is that I'm seeing to you because well this is a you know uh, an audio medium. anyway so here's the deal this this video on kingdom circles about how to enter the kingdom of God if you were to draw three circles like an upside down Mickey Mouse you know with a big circle in the top middle and then two smaller circles at the bottom on the right and the left. And then on the bottom circle on the left, write a C. And on the uh, bottom circle on the right, write an M. You've got it, okay? The top one, you can write K-O-G for kingdom of God. So there's this big circle up at the top. It's an upside-down Mickey Mouse. Two small circles on the bottom. You've got it, okay? uh, You now know what kingdom circles are, and and they're going to be discussing how to enter the kingdom of God, which would be the big circle, and I'll explain what the problem here is in a second. But here we go.
3: So let's say this circle represents the kingdom of God.
1: That's the big circle.
3: Or in Arabic you could say Malakut Allah. Now if this circle represents Christians, and this circle represents Muslims. What's happened for so many years is that Christians have been telling Muslims, you've got to come over into our circle, become a Christian. That's the only way you can come into the kingdom of God. Or Muslims have been saying, "Hey, come over here. You got to become a Muslim. That's how. That's how you really know God, and and are able to uh, move in the right direction." But really.
1: Okay, so he drew what he was talking about. Hey, you Muslims, you need to become Christians. He drew an arrow from the M to the C, and then the Muslims are saying, you Christians need to become Muslim. He drew an arrow from the C to the M, and now he's put an X out. No, 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 we need to stop thinking that way. Stop thinking about getting your Muslim friends out of Islam. No, 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 we're talking about the kingdom of God here.
3: Those things aren't the issue. The real issue is how can we both move into the kingdom of God And find the straight path to God.
1: How can we both move Christians and Muslims into the kingdom of God?
3: That is the question.
1: Yeah, so that's the question. And by the way, if you were to just type into a Google search, you know, looking for videos about kingdom circles, you'd find this. And the other thing you'd find, by the way, is, well, a link to the article at the Jesus in the Quran website, In their tools and resources section, they have an article called Kingdom Circles. Let me read to you what it says these kingdom circles are all about. How can we radically change the conversation between Islam and Christianity? It's actually pretty simple, and it's nothing new. Jesus did the exact same thing 2,000 years ago. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well recognized Jesus as a prophet and immediately wanted to ask Jesus a religious question. Where should we worship God? At Jerusalem, as the Jews believe? At Mount Gerizim, as the Samaritans believe? It's the classic setup for a debate. Whose religion is right? Now, we're misquoting John chapter 4. Jesus, however, refuses to enter the discussion. In fact, he elevates the conversation to another plane altogether. The hour is coming and now is here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So how can we implement Jesus' way? We'll read on, friends, and see the simple diagram that has transformed everything. One, for 1400 years, the debate has looked like this. Christianity versus Islam, Jesus versus Muhammad, Bible versus Quran. I know of many missionaries who tell Muslims that they need to become Christians. I've had many Muslims tell me that I'd be a great Muslim and that I should convert. Uh, But but what if there's something far bigger than Christianity versus Islam? And what if that idea was actually, what if, what if, this is all postmodern speak, by the way, what if, And what if that idea was actually what Jesus talked about all the time? Interestingly, Jesus never asked a single person to become a Christian. (laughs) Erroneous argument. Paul was a Jew until the day he died. Both Jesus and Paul had a concern greater than religious identity. They spoke of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Change the way you think and believe in the good news. The kingdom is the conversation. What is the straight path to the kingdom of God? How do we enter into a personal transformational relationship with the king, living as citizens submitted to his good will? Here's what I try to say to every Muslim I meet. Listen, I know there's been a lot of bad blood and misunderstanding between Christians and Muslims over the years, but we actually have quite a bit in common. And I believe that both you and me desire to love and honor the one true God. I promise I will never ask you to become a Christian, and please don't ask me to become a Muslim. But I also promise that I will do all that I can to help us both discover this true straight path into the kingdom of God. And I believe that true access into that kingdom is through the sacrifice of Jesus the Messiah. <clears throat> um yeah, we got a problem here. By the way, that here conceptually here's the problem is that the the circle with the C in it, yeah, that would be Christians. Needs to be inside the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian, you are a part of the kingdom of God already. You're not outside of it. Islam, Muslims, are outside of the kingdom of God by the fact of their idolatry and the refusal to believe in Jesus, the Son of God, Savior of the world, who sacrificed his life for the forgiveness of their sins. See, that's conceptually the problem. The C belongs in the K-O-G, in the kingdom of God. Now, why is this relevant? Well, the reason why this is relevant is because, like I said, at the Stand Up for the Truth website, the article which reads, Why is a Saddleback Pastor Teaching on the Kingdom Circles, we have photographic evidence of a Saddleback Pastor. In fact... Pastor Abraham Muhlenberg, the same guy who shared the stage with uh, Jihad Turk in December to discuss the Kingsway document, which no Saddleback pastor had ever heard of except for him, but maybe he doesn't count. Nor Tom Holliday or David Sean. But anyway, the point is this, is that uh, Amy Spreeman writes, she says, with all the buzz about the interfaith aspect of Saddleback Church's peace plan and the controversy over the King's Way initiative that partners uh, Rick Warren's church together with the Islamic community, many questions uh, question just how Saddleback is reaching Muslims after promising not to convert anyone to Christianity. Could it be that not converting anyone is one reason why Pastor Warren is getting so many questions about Islam? Uh, This is a photo of Emmaus Weekend Pentecost and an event held last June. This will be June 2011. On June 11th and 12th in the parish of Our Lady of Wisdom Catholic Church in Sophia Antipolis, a near town of Nice, France. Okay, And there's Abraham Muhlenberg holding a microphone with... A diagram, a whiteboard diagram that he's drawn on the whiteboard there. And you're going, how do you know he's drawn it? Well, because I've seen the photographs. It's part of a stream. And this is just one photograph in a series. And Abraham Muhlenberg is teaching. And in the center, we've got the KOG. The KOG that we just, well, heard in that video and and I read about at the Jesus in the Quran website. And it's got the same circles with the B and the uh, with the C and the M and the uh, and the other things and the X out through it and all that kind of stuff. Interesting, isn't it? Could it be that uh, the reason why folks at Saddleback, you know, well, why Jihad Turk was uh, really convinced that the folks at Saddleback were not interested in converting them, was because Abraham Muhlenberg buys into this nonsense. With these kingdom circles? Yeah, I think it's worth uh, considering. I think that may be part of the overall puzzle that's going on here. Folks, there's something seriously, seriously wrong. Number one, uh, well, Rick Warren's um, explanation doesn't pass muster with the evidence that's out there. And he he's mischaracterizing what... Well, Jim Hinch has said, two, we now have photographic evidence of, well, Abraham Muhlenberg, a Saddleback pastor, teaching this kingdom, these kingdom circles theories. Now, which leads to my my uh, observation Uh, over the weekend, I was in Grand Forks, North, North Dakota and teaching in Oslo, Minnesota at uh, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church doing a discernment weekend and I actually gave a, a, a part 3 of my lecture the lecture number 3 which was an hour long I explained postmodernity and talked about Brian McLaren and, and you know in preparation for my trip out there to teach at the uh, discernment weekend there in Kongsvinger spent a little bit of time reviewing my notes and going back through some of my highlights and uh, notations that I had made in my copy of Brian McLaren's book a generous orthodoxy. And it dawned on me, this King's Way initiative is a postmodern initiative. It's a postmodern initiative that pretty much encapsulates by action and deed the concepts laid out in Brian McLaren's book, A Generous Orthodoxy. Don't believe me? Well, here's Brian McLaren reading from chapter 17 of his book, A Generous Orthodoxy, talking about what it means to be incarnational see if any of this sounds familiar to you
4: jesus incarnation bound him not just to the jewish people but to all humanity his incarnation links his followers to all people including people of other religions our christian identity must not make us afraid of superior to isolated from defensive or aggressive toward or otherwise hostile to people of other religions rather the reverse because i follow jesus then i am bound to jews muslims buddhists hindus agnostics atheists new agers everyone not only am i bound to them in love but i am actually called to in some real sense become one of them to enter their world and be with them in it In saying this, I'm echoing one of Jesus' earliest followers, Paul. The Apostle Paul had been a Pharisee, a member of the religious movement most unfavorable to Jesus, and the group of which Jesus was most critical. Pharisees were the elect and elite among the elect and elite. They wouldn't eat with non-Jews. They wouldn't greet them, embrace them, marry them, or even help them if they found them beaten and left to die on the road. Pharisees didn't understand the difference between love or acceptance and approval. So, lest they be accused of approving of other religions, they refrained from loving or accepting people who were part of other religions, as well as subpar members of their own religion. Jesus entered Paul's life, and Paul entered Jesus' way, and all this changed. To the point where Paul could say, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. That's 1 Corinthians nine twenty to 23 Can you feel the immense, shocking, almost heretical potency of these words written by this former Pharisee? The gospel, the story of God's becoming one of us through the incarnation, propels Paul on an incarnational ministry to become one of them, whoever they are. There are two things this incarnational ministry is not. It is not a kind of dishonest spy work where one pretends to be something one is not, like an Internet pedophile who pretends to be a teenager so he can enter their trust, or like a network marketer who pretends to be your friend so he can add you to his downline. And again, neither is it a kind of everybody's okay, all religions are equally true, relativist, pluralist tolerance, where I chant with the Hare Krishnas, bow toward Mecca with the Muslims and dance with the Pentecostals because it's all good and it doesn't matter which religion, if any, you believe as long as you're sincere. No, a generous incarnational orthodoxy means something very different. Just as Jesus came originally not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, not to condemn people, but to save them. I believe he comes today not to destroy or condemn anything, anything but evil, but to redeem and save everything that can be redeemed or saved. Ah, but you say there's the problem. There's so much evil in other religions. Yes, I reply. There is indeed, but not just in other religions. There is so much evil in our own, too. So I propose that before we seek to remove the splinters from the eyes of other religions... We concentrate on the planks in our own. I also propose with Jesus' parable from Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 to 30 in mind that we don't seek to root up all the bad weeds in the world's religions, including our own, but rather seek to encourage the growth of good wheat in all religions, including our own, leaving it for God to sort it all out as only God can do. Wheat in other religions, you ask? Well, yes. Yes. If as a Christian, I am to love my neighbor as myself and to treat my neighbor as I would be treated, then without question, one of my duties in regard to my neighbor of another religion is to value everything that is good that he offers me in neighborliness, including the opportunity to learn all I can from his religion. Another duty is to offer everything I have that could be of value to him, including the opportunity to learn from my religion if he can. This is not a compromise of my faith or his. This is a required practice of it. I'd like to suggest eight emerging obligations of a generous orthodoxy in regard to other religions in God's world. Each builds on the previous obligation and each enriches the others. Number one, we must accept the coexistence of different faiths in our world willingly, not begrudgingly. The fact is that different religions have been here for a long time and are here to stay for the foreseeable future. To be a Christian means that one follows Jesus' teaching of neighbor love, especially to those whose religions are different, even those who might be considered enemies. To show love and acceptance toward people again is not to approve all they believe or do, as any parent knows. To show disapproval of divergent beliefs by withholding love and acceptance may be Orthodox Phariseeism, and it may even be Orthodox modern Western colonial Christianity, but it is not the generous orthodoxy of Jesus Christ. It is, rather, a betrayal of our Lord and his way. Having acknowledged and accepted the coexistence of other faiths, Christians should actually talk with people of other faiths, engaging in gentle and respectful dialogue. This dialogue will benefit others, but we need it as well. Many Christians believe that to engage in dialogue means that we sacrifice our own position, that respectful dialogue is seen as compromise. This is absurd. Dialogue is only possible among people who come to the table with commitments, along with the mutual respect required for conversation, respect that is required of Christians in any dialogue. Number two we must assume that God is an unseen partner in our dialogues who has something to teach all participants, including us. Just as Peter and the early church experienced ongoing conversion through the conversion of Cornelius in Acts chapters 10 and 11, God has much to teach us in and through our dialogue with others. Number three, We must learn humility in order to engage in respectful dialogue. Too often, the dominant but receding modern Western colonial Christianity saw boldness and humility as opposites, not partners. We showed boldness and confidence in the gospel through what appeared to outsiders as arrogance, disrespect, and insensitivity. As a result, we attacked and argued too often, and we apologized too seldom. In the emerging context, the art of giving reasons for our faith, hope, and love will often, perhaps always, require a prelude of apology. Number four, we must realize that each religion is its own world, requiring very different responses from Christians. In this way, there is no such thing as interreligious dialogue in general. Rather, there is dialogue between this Christian individual or community and that Jewish or Buddhist or Hindu individual or community. Practice in one kind of dialogue prepares one for the next, but each requires new learnings and new openness. Each brings new challenges and new blessings, too. Number five, only at this point... Are we ready to reassert that conversation does not exclude evangelism, but makes it possible? We share the good news of Jesus, seeking to make disciples of all peoples, always inviting, never coercing. In David Bosch's words, we affirm that witness does not preclude dialogue, but invites it, and that dialogue does not preclude witness, but extends and deepens it.
1: Now, the audio version of Brian McLaren's A Generous Orthodoxy is abridged, which means that the next paragraphs have been omitted for the abridged audio version. Let me read it for you. McLaren says, I must add, though, that I don't believe making disciples must equal making adherence to the Christian religion. It may be advisable in many, not all, circumstances, to help people become followers of Jesus and remain within their Buddhist, Hindu, or Jewish context. This will be hard, you say, and I agree. But frankly, it's not at all easy to be a follower of Jesus in many Christian religious contexts either. Vincent Donovan catch, captured exactly what I mean in Christianity Rediscovered. Quote, don't try to call them back to where they were and don't try to call them to where you are as beautiful as that place might seem to you. You must have the courage to go with them, to place, to a place neither you nor they have ever been before. Good missionary advice and a beautiful description of the unpredictable process of evangelization, a process leading to that new place where none of us has ever been before. Okay, so I just wanted to read that, make sure we got that into the record. We continue.
4: At heart, I think my main gift and calling is to evangelism. I want to help every person I can to become a follower of Jesus, beginning with myself. As much as I love to speak to pastors and church leaders about church health and missional vitality, I feel most alive when equipping them to speak to their undiscipled friends and neighbors about the good news. The other statements in this list do not in any way undermine the evangelistic calling. Rather, they make it possible in our emerging context. Number six. We must continually be aware that the old, old story may not be the true, true story. In other words, we must be open to the perpetual possibility that our received understandings of the gospel may be faulty, imbalanced, poorly nuanced, or downright warped and twisted. Here, we must retain the good Protestant, evangelical, and biblical instinct to allow Scripture to critique tradition, including our dominant and most recent tradition, and including our tradition's understanding of the gospel. In this sense, Christians in missional dialogue must continually expect to rediscover the gospel. Number seven, we must live with a paradox. What happens in our missional dialogue when we meet others whose piety and goodness and spirituality dwarfs our own? What happens when we share the gospel and others are informed and enriched, maybe even gratefully so, but not convinced? Rather than resolving the paradox via pronouncements on the eternal destiny of people more convinced by or loyal to other religions than ours, we simply move on, as Jesus told his disciples to do, giving all the respect and honor due those who are not convinced by our message with the meekness Jesus taught, rather than calling down fire from heaven on them, as Jesus told his disciples not to do. Number eight, if members of other religions are under threat, we must seek to protect them. If through Christ, God risks all for us, then we must do the same for people of other religions. They are our neighbors, and everything Jesus said about neighbors applies to them. Even if they approach us as enemies to be faithful to Jesus, we must love them and never let their status as non-Christians reduce them to non-neighbors. When Paul says, let us do good to all people, and then adds, especially to those who belong to the family of believers, in Galatians 6.10, the second clause in no way nullifies the first. I am more and more convinced that Jesus didn't come merely to start another religion to compete in the marketplace of other religions. If anything, I believe he came to end standard competitive religion, which Paul called the law, by fulfilling it. I believe he came to open up something beyond religion, a new possibility, a realm, a domain, a territory of the spirit that welcomes everyone but requires everyone, now including members of the Christian religion, to think again and become like little children. It is not like too many religions, a place of fear and exclusion, but a place beyond fear and exclusion. It is a place where everyone can find a home in the embrace of God.
1: So there's Brian McLaren from his 2004 book, A Generous Orthodoxy, and uh, talking about Jesus creating a space, not for competitive religion, but where everybody can find and be welcomed in the embrace of God. Hmm. May I just assert that it is my firm conviction that uh, Abraham Muhlenberg of Saddleback Church has been heavily influenced by the postmodern concepts of incarnational ministry, whatever that is, in uh, 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 the emerging church uh, via Brian McLaren and other postmoderns. That would explain why, when he was in France in June of last year, he was teaching the kingdom circles. Because the kingdom circles, conceptually, while it sounds exactly like Brian McLaren's emergent postmodern view of evangelism, which is incarnational ministry, where everybody, including, you know, Jews and Muslims and people in other faiths, can experience the embrace of God. There you go. Yeah, wow. Yeah, wow. yeah that's what I think is going on. All right, we're up on our second break. We're well into hour number two. Long sermon. I probably won't play the full thing. On the other end of this break, if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
4: We don't need to rethink Christianity, we
1: need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... (laughs) Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. I probably will not get through this whole thing. Just want to let you know. But then again, it's Keith Kraft. I think what you've heard the first 20 minutes, you've pretty much heard it all. All right, here we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Elevate Life Church from the Mariachi Trench, also known as the Cathedral of Frisco. Keith Craft presiding. Name of the sermon, Increase, subtitle, The Way of God. Yeah, this sermon weighs in at one hour, one minute, and 18 seconds. There is no way I'm going to get through this whole thing. It would take me two hours to review it in total, if I was to correct everything. Anyway, let's, let's not prolong the inevitable. Here's... <laughs> you're just telling... So thrilled. After such a great weekend in in, uh, Grand Forks, now I have to do this. (laughs) Here's Keith Kraft. Here we go.
0: So glad you're here. You can be seated. We're talking about increase. Everybody say increase.
1: Increase. Increase
0: being the way of God. In other words,
1: this is our year we announced in Mm. (laughs) January. What are we, 15 seconds at most into this thing? Increase being the way of God. (laughs) of this year that this is our year of increase oh goody this is our year of increase and that it
0: really is god's will it's god's want it's god's way to increase your life and so i want you to take a look at the definition it's in your notes and it's also on the big screens in the sky what is it what do we mean when we say increase this is our year
1: of increase by the way how many of you've had a- so what's next year i mean this year is going to be over before you know it. what's next year the year of decrease enough decrease in your life that it's okay
0: if in 2012 everything starts increasing for the good come on all right so that's what we're prophesying when you come in the
1: oh, oh, man, <laughs> yo you're prophesying increase well good on you
0: the cathedral of frisco you're gonna hear a word from god for you and i just trust that you'll take that that you'll receive that but what do we mean when we say increase it means to become greater
1: yeah, well that's the definition of the word. God wants you to
0: become greater this year.
1: You know why I want Yeah, funny because you know, I remember a passage where John the Baptist says that Jesus must increase, I must decrease. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. That wasn't in 2012. If the, if John the Baptist were alive today in 2012, Jesus uh, he would say, "Jesus has to decrease. I, it's my year to increase." Wants you to become
0: greater because you're his son and you're his daughter. God doesn't create junk
1: he doesn't create notice he's not reading a biblical passage these are just his ideas these are just flat out just assertions on the part of heathcraft funk he creates awesome people just like you and so he wants you to
0: increase and become greater this year increase what does it mean it means to advance in value you know that the devil the enemy of your soul which is real by the way he's real the devil's real you know that what he's tried to do ever since the day that you were born is to cause you to feel like that you're not that valuable,
1: whether it's through a divorce that your parents had and it disillusioned See, that's what the devil's all about. He just wants you to make you feel not valuable. Yeah, that old trickster to the devil. I mean, he just doesn't want you to know your true worth. That's what he's all about. He's
0: disillusioned you, whether... You're one of the one out of every three people in the United States that's been verbally, physically, or sexually abused. The enemy has tried to do everything he can to diminish who you are and to diminish who God is in your life. And so it's God's way that we increase, it's the way of God. What does that mean?
1: Well, you're not preaching from a biblical text. Sounds like you're just making up your own theology here.
0: That means that we advance in value. Can I give you some great news? How many of you have a job? How many of you want a better job? How many of you just want a job? All right. Let me just tell you this. When your value increases, your value in the marketplace increases.
1: Wow, that's some great news. If if my value of my personal worth increases, so does my 401K. Oh, this is such great news. Wow, I'm... Just, just dumbfounded. So basically, the gospel is all about net worth. Uh huh. That's why increase
0: has to start on the inside before it can happen on the outside. God wants you to increase. Increase. What does it mean? It means to become brighter, more vivid. Have you got one of those newfangled TVs that have the vivid? that have the regular, the whatever the, the different pictures are. But vivid is usually the best picture on the television.
1: Why is that? Yeah, why is vivid the best picture on the television? Because God wants you to become brighter. The first... <laughs> really? Oh, I never exegeted the picture settings on my television before. I'd never heard a a preacher do that. You know why there's vivid on your television set? Because that's proof that God wants you to be brighter. Oh, you have got to be kidding me. first act of God
0: was he said, let there be light. And there was light. Why? Because the world was full of darkness. It was void. It was without shape. It was without form. And God said, let there be light. In our lives, sometimes there's darkness.
1: In our lives, sometimes. Yeah, just a little. You know, just a smidge. You know, not too much. Just, you know, like when you turn the light off. Sometimes things don't have shape. Things aren't working like they're supposed to work.
0: But God says to us, let there be light. When He increases us, He brings light into our darkness. He brings light into our depression. So He's
1: allegorizing the Genesis text. Nice. When
0: people are depressed and feeling depressed, it feels very dark. When you increase, God turns up the wattage. He turns the dimmer switch all the way up. What does it mean to increase? It means to rise. It means to elevate. It means this year, everything in your life is going up not down in Jesus' name. That's what's happening, and that's what's going to happen. Now, some of you might see some people raising their hand like that, and it just seems like a quick grab. That's because you don't realize it. But as I'm speaking, words are just going out either right over your head, right into your ear, right into your heart, or right past you. How many of you have ever felt like you've been talking to somebody and it was like going right over their head? Come on, they weren't even listening. Well, around here... Um, Oral Roberts, who went to be with the Lord this last year, he said something that really affected me years ago, and here's what he said. He said, blessings are always coming our way. We either reach out and grab them, or they pass us by.
1: And so I begin to te- Just a reminder, uh, Oral Roberts, uh, that quote is not found in the Bible. It's not there anywhere. That's just a quote from Oral Roberts, not from the Bible.
0: Teaching our church that words from God, by the way, one word from God can change your life. Words from God are always coming our way. We either reach out and grab it, or they pass us by.
1: Mm. Well, how fast would that Bible be moving? Because if it was moving that fast, I might want to move out of the way so I don't get hit by it. Maybe you don't mean words of God from, like, the Scriptures, do you, huh?
0: So every once in a while, you'll see people grab, you know, look like they're grabbing something. They're That's just, just an outward sign of that word's for me. I'm t- oh, man. Oh, oh taking that word and every word that i grab and i begin to apply in my life guess what i empower the word of god to empower me and change my life
1: really you got a bible verse that says that
0: and that's what god wants to happen so anyway you can just join in you know if you went to a nightclub i know you never have But if you went to a bar or something, or if you went somewhere where everybody did the same thing, you wouldn't want to be the odd person out. So on the count of three, everybody just reach up and grab a word. One,
1: two, three. Come on. Bam. You got it. All right. Yeah, weird. I grabbed the word heretic. Strange. And it came right out of the headphones, you know, while you were preaching. I guess that means you're a heretic. All right. Y'all are doing good.
0: So anyway, to rise, to elevate, increase means, and I love this. This year, you're going to gain power and authority. Come on, you receive that word? You're going to gain power and authority. Divine facts about increase. This is in your notes. Fill in some blanks with me. Increase is the way of God. Can you say that with me? Increase is the way of God. In other words, another way of saying it is increase is how God rolls. God rolls with increase. God's not about decrease. God's about increase. Increase is the way of God. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, the first chapter, and I'm going I'm to read you a few scriptures, a few words today that God's going to impact your life with, but the Bible says in Deuteronomy, the first chapter, the 10th verse, the big Bible in the sky, if you don't have yours, the Lord your God has multiplied you, he's increased you, and here you are today as the stars of heaven in multitude. Now I'm, going to, now I'm going to speak over your life. So just.
1: Okay, that's out of context.
0: Let me be, let me be a, a priest for a minute, all right? Raise both hands or raise your right hand and let me speak this over you. May the Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more numerous than you are and bless you as he has promised you. Put an amen on that. A thousand times more. That'd be all right this year, wouldn't it?
1: This is painful.
0: Just God just bless me a thousand times more. Do the person a favor next to you and just let God speak to you and just turn to them and say, God's going to bless you a thousand times more this year. Come on, just be God. Just say, God's going to bless you a thousand times more. Everybody say, I receive.
1: Uh, yeah, Bible hopscotch here, just ripping verses out of context. and Yeah, i will pray the thousand times more thing. Uh-huh. You know, this reminds me of a biblical passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3, understand this, starting at verse 1, Uh, understand this, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, in the last days there will come times of, well, difficulty, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. "...proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power, Uh, avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households, capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the truth." Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind, disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that's what we're seeing here. This is just folly. Yeah. Leave that! All
0: right, increase. Increase is the way of God. That's how God rolls. Increase is the will of God. We talked about this in our State of the Church address uh, at the first of this year, the second week of January. Increase is the will of God. The Bible says in Isaiah 9-7 that to the increase of his government there will be no end. And I love this. Jesus, when he was born, he was announced as Christ the Lord. Unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. Christ the Lord lord christ the lord so literally as a baby he was proclaimed as lord but watch this that's in luke the first chapter in luke the second chapter here's what we find that by by the time we get to the 52nd verse the bible says that jesus increased in wisdom stature and favor with both god and man
1: yeah, when you read that in context, it's because that's the bridge between when he was a child and when he's an adult. The rest of his childhood's missing from all of the Gospels. This isn't teaching that we increase. It's talking about the fact that he grew up, and then Jesus grew up.
0: Oh, man. And if Jesus Christ, who is the Lord, needs to increase in those things, don't you think we need to increase in those things? Oh, So this is our year of increase. It is the will of God, and then increase is the want of God. I want to talk about, for the next few minutes, how to increase in the way of God. If this is the way God rolls, then we need to roll with God. All right?
1: You have not sufficiently demonstrated from any passages in context. Can you show me this from the writings of the Church Fathers, this great doctrine of increase? I mean, seriously, what is this? Just plain out... Money loving narcissist Jesus. So Deuteronomy the fifth chapter, let me just lay some
0: foundation for you. In the 32nd verse of Deuteronomy 5, the Bible says, Therefore, by the way, is this the biggest pulpit you've ever seen in your life? Some of my guys had this made for me. This thing is I even feel small behind it. I thought, what a beautiful pulpit though. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? They had it handmade for me. That's out of oak. It weighs about 400 pounds. It's very heavy. But every once in a while, I'll walk around here and just talk to y'all. Therefore, verse 32, Deuteronomy 5, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to your right or to your left. You ever have any things in your life that try to do?
1: Now, notice what he's doing here. He's going back into do, do, into, do, 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 into Deuteronomy to the mosaic law and basically coming up with this idea you keep the mosaic law and well you know you're going to increase because that's the way god rolls so if you want to increase you know that increase increase your self-worth because god doesn't make junk then you gotta you know obey the law this is well increase by works not by grace distract you
0: how many of y'all got something distracting going on right now how you ever had anybody in your life that you, that you actually had to say to them, you're a distraction to me? Some of you have a boyfriend right now. He's a distraction. Some of you got a girlfriend that's a distraction. If you got a husband or wife that's a distraction.
1: Some of you have a pastor who, you know, preaches from the depths of the mariachi trench at the, at the Cathedral of Frisco, who is a distraction. He's distracting you away from Jesus Christ in the biblical gospel. Too late.
0: Okay. You're <laughs> just going to have to deal with it. Verse 33. You shall walk in all the ways. And we say ways. So increase is the way of God. You shall... The passage doesn't say that. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you. And that you may prolong your days in the land which you should possess.
1: Great. I hope you're going to obey all 600 and something laws out there in the Mosaic law in the, you know, right there in the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus. So let's lay
0: some more foundation. The next chapter, verse four, chapter six, verse four. Hear, O Israel, or hear church. Israel were, were God's people. So let's just, let's just add some blanks here. Hear, O Israel, hear, O church, here elevate life.
1: So he's reading the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Shema ha-Israel, okay.
0: The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Yep. So the Lord is one. Would you say that with me? The Lord is one. In other words, there's an old song that goes like this. He's all I need he's all i need jesus is all i need he's all i need he's all i need jesus is all i need 7-eleven song when you realize that it ain't about your job It ain't about anything. He's all we need. The Lord is one. Amen. So the Bible says the Lord is one. And what he's saying is there. He's all you need. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart.
1: Go ahead and try. In order to prove that you're doing this, you can't commit any sins. Not one. Every sin proves that you do not love God with all of your heart.
0: With all your soul with all your strength don't love your job more than God by the way your job is not job Jira; it's Jehovah Jireh Jehovah Jireh means the Lord is my provider not my job so he didn't say I'm job Jireh he said I'm Jehovah Jireh I'm your provider (sighs) so don't love your job more than God don't love your spouse more than God don't love your kids more than God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart.
1: Yeah, and what about the people who are guilty of not loving God with all their heart? You got any words for them? Because that would be everybody you're speaking to. You're going to talk about the forgiveness of their sins? Because when every time you don't love God with all your heart, well, you've sinned against God.
0: He'll help you love your kids the way they need to be loved. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind. He'll help get your emotions right so that you'll be able to make people feel like they matter in your life. It's called emotional intelligence, Daniel Goldman says. But the fact is, we need to all need to be loving God with our emotions. Why? Because we all got she emotions, we got he emotions, and we got emotions that will mess us all up.
1: <laughs> How does this guy have a megachurch? I have no idea.
0: How many of y'all's emotions have messed you up before, messed up a relationship before, messed up a conversation before? Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your
1: emotions. Just binding people to the law as if, you know, just love God with all your heart. Like, no, that's really easy. I just, I never thought of that. Let me try it. Love the Lord
0: with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, everybody say walk by the way. We're talking about increases the way of God. So when you walk by the way or walk by the way of God, when you lie down, when you rise up. Uh, On the back of your notes, uh, hand me some of the notes. On the back of your notes is what we call table talk. One of the reasons we give you notes now, that's about font four on your computer. I've got 2010 vision, and I can't hardly see it, but just put your glasses on and you'll see it. But table talk in the back is for you and your spouse. It's for you at work. It's for you and your family to discuss this message as we go through this message. So don't take this.
1: I mean, what is there to discuss? I mean, this message is just full of bizarre, nonsensical, non-lucid, non-biblical thoughts. And you're just binding everybody to the law. You're not even preaching the gospel.
0: Home with you. Don't just take notes and uh, give it in the offering, but just take notes and give in the offering. Okay.
1: Yeah. Make sure you you know you put that offering in. That's really important. They got a brand new cathedral there. You know, in in, in right there in the, the stage at the center of the well is that's the mariachi trench at the cathedral of Frisco. We continue.
0: Now, let me uh let me turn what's the next scripture, guys? The next scripture is, is Deuteronomy the tenth chapter and the twelfth verse. And in Deuteronomy ten twelve, here's what it says, And now Israel or the church again, what does the Lord your God require of you? Hmm, that's an interesting question. So if increase is the way of God, what does God require of us? Let me say something with all due respect. When you're in a place in life where you need the government to take care of you or you want the government to take care of you, whichever it is, the bottom line is there's not much required of you because you need or you want the government to take care of you. And so, uh, by the way, just so you know what the real numbers are, 45 to 50% of all Americans pay zero taxes because of their income bracket. You say, what does that mean? What that means is 45 to 55% of the other Americans pay the taxes for everybody else. So that the people that for whatever reason, uh, whether it's a justice issue, whether it's a, uh, uh, uh you know, something in life that's just keeping them back or or their own habits or whatever it is. The bottom line is there's people that need help and they need the government to help them and they see the government's job is to help them. Well, let me just explain to you. There would be no government if there weren't people who funded the government to help people. So what I want you to understand, it's not the government. The money's coming from somewhere and it's coming from 45 to 55% of the people Who are required by the government to take care of the forty to forty-five to fifty percent that can't or don't want to take care of themselves. I say that with all due respect. So here's what I want to tell you. The more you increase in life, the more is required of you.
1: Well, count me out. I, I like to take it easy and, you know, not work so hard. So I'm just gonna can I just stay the same or decrease so I don't have as much to do?
0: You know how, when you're living by yourself, how many of y'all ever lived by yourself? If you didn't have the blessing of living by yourself, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you were like always in your mom or your daddy's home, hopefully there was some kind of requirement on you. I always asked my kids when they were growing up, I said, what are you contributing to our family? This is when they're five and six and seven and eight. What's your contribution? What are you doing to contribute? We're not just here to put a roof over your head. We're not just here to feed your face. We're not just here to give you money to go have fun. What are you contributing? Well, hey, I'm just part of the family and I just deserve you to take care
1: of me. Now, what's really weird is I've heard Rick Warren use this exact same sermon illustration.
0: You decided to have me. I did not decide to be here. So give me your money, give me a roof over my head and I ain't gonna do what you say because you're an idiot. Now, I know there's not a lot of kids like that (laughs) that would have an attitude about keeping their space clean, keeping their bed made up, helping with the dishes, walking into their parents after a meal and saying, hey, listen, mom, don't worry about cleaning the dishes. Let me do that for you. Because I'd like to be able to contribute something for living here since I don't pay anything. And I just ate a meal that I didn't pay anything for. So let me do the dishes. Would that just, like, make you pass out or what? Okay, here's my point. If you've never had the blessing of living by yourself, first of all, you don't know what's required of you. Because when you get on your own, you've got to come up with the food. You've you got to come up with the roof over your head. And you've got to come up with means to be able to do that. Now, when you're by yourself, you don't worry about where you squeeze the toothpaste. You just grab it. You don't worry about the toilet paper, do you? I mean, you're by yourself. If you're on the toilet, you run out of toilet paper.
1: Notice he's not preaching from a text. He's just making stuff up and then going and finding verses that he thinks supports it. You're by
0: yourself. You can replace that whenever you want. And you're by yourself. You can use the toilet and get up and walk wherever the toilet paper is. You're by yourself. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? But when you get married, when you get married, all of a sudden, the toothpaste becomes an issue for one. The stuff on the mirror from brushing your teeth becomes an issue for her. The toilet paper becomes an issue. You don't just use the last piece of the toilet paper and go oh, I'm glad that was there for me but if you're married and you want to be happy there's a requirement that when that last piece comes off you get up from that toilet and you go prepare the role for the next person who you love more than yourself how many of you are glad I'm preaching this right now so that She doesn't come in and wonder where the toilet paper went. When you live by yourself, men, you can leave the lid up all you want. You don't have to worry about that. But when you get married, you better learn to put the lid up. You better learn to put the lid down or you're going to hear a splash and then a yell at you. So, here's my point by the way, back on the toilet paper, men, this is a tip. You don't just replace the toilet paper. You make sure that it rolls on the outside. Maybe your mama didn't teach you that. Aren't you glad you came to the house of God? It ain't just replacing the toilet paper. There's a requirement. Nobody wants the toilet paper rolling on the underside. It's on the outside where it's just there and ready. If you want to take it to a whole nother level, when you replace the toilet paper, just put a little fold in it. (laughs) Or write with a pen, love you, I knew you were next. Anyway, either way, it'll just let her know that you were thinking about her. But the reality is, when you get married, how many of you are smart enough to know there's more required of you than there was when you were by yourself? Okay? When you work for somebody, you think there's a requirement on you, but it's nothing compared to when you're the boss. Everybody wants to be the boss, but they don't want the requirement of the boss. Increase. If it's the way of God, what's required of you? If things are going to increase for you, what's the requirement? And I want you to see this because we can miss it because the Bible says, what does God require of you? Watch this. Here's what it says. Deuteronomy 10 verse 12. To fear the Lord, honor God. Doesn't mean to have fear. It means to honor. What's required if God's increase is going to happen for your life is for you to honor God, watch, and to walk in his way not your way
1: the text out of context it doesn't say before in order for you to increase you must do this he's just reading from the law and then attributing rewards to it that he's made up but to
0: walk in his way and to love him you know i don't walk around my children and go, you know you're required to love me but i think when god says what's required i just want you to love me you know when you get married You don't tell them, now listen, here's a part of our vows. I require you to love me. You just want to believe that somebody's met that requirement, don't you? God's saying, I want you to love me. I want you to serve me with all your heart, with all your soul. Keep my commandments and my statutes, which I command you this day. And look at the last three words. Say it with me for your good
1: total law no gospel this is condemning everybody because the people listening don't love God with all their heart good luck let me know when you achieve it
0: wow increase how do you increase in the way of God look at your notes get Godfidence get Godfidence another way of saying that is get confidence in God let me give you a secret. The enemy of your soul from the day that you were born has been trying to take your confidence from you. You say, what does that mean?
1: Well, let's look at the definition. Oh no, the enemy of my soul wants my confidence. Oh, who knew I better protect it. Mission for god is an assurance of mind. The word he stole from Ed Young.
0: Mind. a firm belief in the heart in the reality of God. So from the time you were born, the enemy of your soul has tried to bring insecurity in your mind rather than assurance of mind. He's tried
1: to bring doubt. Now notice, he's just making these assertions. They don't have their origin in what God's word says. He's just telling you a story. Rather than a firm belief in your heart, that God's real,
0: but if you believe God's real, that's where godfidence starts. Why is that? Well, let's read on. You begin to possess the courage to become completely who God has called you to be and do what He's called you to do. So, godfidence is an assurance in my mind; it's a firm belief in my heart in the reality of God. And when I believe that, guess what I can believe? That I'm a son or daughter of God. And if I'm a son or daughter of God, God has given me the courage by my faith in Him to become completely holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. To become holy, fully what He's called me to become and to do what He's called me to do. Godfidence.
1: And all it takes is for you to perfectly obey God. Good luck. You see, it's up to me to get my god It's up to you to get god It's up to you to understand. Do you have a Bible verse that says it's up to me to get god Stand Dan, that it's your faith. All of us have been given a measure of faith. What do I do with it? What do I do with it? A- You're not discussing faith. You're discussing obedience. There's a
0: story in the Bible Judges, the sixth chapter, about a man by the name of Gideon. And Gideon was a man, and we'll just pick up the story in Judges 6, but Gideon was a man who, along with the children of Israel, the Bible says that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. They didn't walk in God's ways. By the way, most people here would not say, I'm an evil person. But if you do not walk in God's way, you're walking in your way, and that's called evil. Most people don't like that.
1: Well, there's something he finally said that was true and makes sense. Wait, I just because just I don't believe in God,
0: I'm evil? You don't understand. It's one or the other. And some people cannot figure that out.
1: Well, then you're evil because you don't walk in the way of God because you sin every day. You
0: see, the reality is God has a plan for you. You're his son or daughter. If you reject that because of your own doubt, because of your own intellect, because of your own smarts, because you got it figured out, then what happens is you're walking down an evil way. You're opening yourself up for all kinds of evil. That's why when you honor God, the Bible says in Malachi, the third chapter, that he rebukes the devourer on your behalf. In your finances and in every area of your life. When you honor God, when you put God first, God does the rest. But your Godfidence comes from putting Him first, from acknowledging the reality of who He is, and then deciding, I want you to be Lord of my life. Well, the children of Israel, in this passage of Scripture, the Bible is full, by the way, of stories because, and I've, I've shown this illustration before, by this time in the Bible, man has already fallen. We're two pages in. Man has decided to do his own thing. We're going to talk about that next week. That the enemy, very early with Adam and Eve, wanted to bring decrease
1: in what God had blessed. Oh, yeah, that's what Satan was all about. He was trying to bring decrease. Oh, man. To increase. And so we get to Judges and we find the story about a man
0: by the name of Gideon who was a part of the children of Israel, God's people, that were doing their own thing. So God turned them over to the Midianites who were their enemies for seven years it had been this way. And the Bible says that the Midianites prevailed against them and now God's children were hiding in dens and caves and strongholds. You know, fear is a stronghold, insecurity is a stronghold, insignificance is a stronghold.
1: Oh, no, psychological strongholds. Yeah, that's what that Gideon passage is all about. It's overcoming those psychological strongholds in your life.
4: Whatever.
0: And all of us struggle with that. Because the enemy doesn't want you to think that you're his son and his daughter, so he tries to get you on the side of life that you think that you're going to have to make it happen. Listen, his grace is sufficient for you. That's what God's grace is all about. His grace is his power to do things his way.
1: So his grace is all about overcoming psychological strongholds. Mm-hmm.
0: So what happened was the children of Israel started doing things their own way. They were turned over to the enemy. They're hiding in dens. They're hiding in caves. They're freaked out. The Bible says that the Midianites and the Amalekites and people from the east would come up against them and they would destroy all the increase that they were trying to bring about in their life. You know what the enemy of your soul wants to do? Not only keep you from increasing, but when you take one step forward, hits you so hard that you take two steps backwards. In other words, bring decrease in your life. And so here was the
1: state of God's church. Yeah, so that's what Satan's all about, bringing decrease in your life,
0: yeah. Church, here was the state of God's people. They were greatly impoverished, and the Bible says in verse 11 that an angel of the Lord came and revealed himself to Gideon who was hiding. He was threshing wheat in a wine press in order to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and look what the angel of the Lord said. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor.
1: Oh, man. Descriptive text, n- not a prescriptive text. We, uh, this... Uh are you talking to me
0: the Lord is with you you're a mighty man of valor here's what he says Gideon said oh my Lord if the Lord is with us then why has all this happened to us I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but how have you ever said that God if you're really real then what's going on
1: yeah you know because you know we fully expect everything to go right.
0: Because watch this. Before God can be real out here, God has to be real in here. So we're looking for God in all the wrong places. Is <sighs> looking for God in too many faces. Anyway, it's just another song. God, why would you allow, if you're real, why would you allow this? And we allow our doubt to set in why? Because God is not real out here until God is real in here. When I have an assurance in my mind, when I have a firm belief in my heart, in the reality of God, that's when the god comes. I begin to possess. The, te-
1: the passage doesn't teach any of this
0: courage to do what to become everything God's created me to be and to be able to do everything that his word says that I can do because I'm his son and I'm his daughter (laughs) so the Lord is with you you mighty man well why has all this happened where are all the miracles that the Bible talks about Did the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But the Lord has forsaken us. He's delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and he said, Go in this might of yours and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. So he said to them, Gideon says to God, Oh my Lord, well how can I save Israel? Indeed my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. Look at verse 16. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you. Why? Because you're my son. You're my daughter. I'm going to be with you and you will defeat the Midianites as one man. Remember the scripture I read to you in Deuteronomy? That the Lord is one. One. When we become one with God, we are one with the Lord. Oh, no. Oh, it is a train wreck. In other words, it doesn't matter what your enemy is. You'll defeat that enemy because I'm with you. And so the first message
1: to. So the enemy is, you know, like, you know, psychological strongholds of inadequacy and, you know, decrease in your life, you know, setbacks, burps, hiccups, you know. You know, when things go wrong, right? You know, your 401k experiences a loss rather than a gain, you know.
0: After seven years to this Gideon who is hiding. Who was fearful. The first message of God to him was, the Lord is with you. I want to say something to you today. I don't know where you, what, what you're going through. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what your life is at this point. God does, but you came here today. So let me tell you what God wants you to know. It's the same message that he said to Gideon. The Lord is with you. Whether you realize it or not, the Lord is with you. And if the Lord is with you, guess what he wants to do? Bring confidence in your life. He wants.
1: And yet no passage says that.
0: ...to bring confidence in your life. Why? That you can become everything that he's created you to become. And you can do what he says that you can do. That's what God wants you to know today. The Lord is with you. You may not feel like it, but the Lord is with you. So in your notes there, how do you get god you, How do you increase? Here's what you do. You say yes to your no.
1: I'm not talking about... So that's how you do it. You, you say yes to your no. At your no.
0: i I'm talking about your no. You know what I hope you leave here today with? That you know the Lord is with you. Yeah. No matter what you're going through, but you came to the cathedral, you came to his house, his message to you is the Lord is with you. Yeah. In your worst of circumstance, in your worst of situations, whether you caused what you're in or not, like the children of Israel did, the Lord is with you. And by the way, you're a mighty man. You're a mighty woman of valor.
1: Uh, Where to untangle this? Folks, this isn't biblical Christianity. This is scratching, itching ears, telling people what they want to hear. This isn't sound doctrine. This is Bible twisting of the worst kind, of the basest kind. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross. I'm not hearing about the cross. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. So where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. So that no human being might boast... In the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Does that sound anything like what Keith Craft was preaching? Not at all. Why? Because Keith Craft isn't preaching Christ and Him crucified for our sins. He's teaching a ear-tickling, ear-scratching sermon about God increasing you, giving you more money, giving you more prestige and all that kind of stuff. You're a mighty man of valor. No, Scripture says you're a sinner. You and me both, we're sinners. We're sinners who have not obeyed God and do not deserve from God increase. But instead deserve hell for the sins that we've committed against our great God. But Scripture says that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That would be you and me. He's not preaching that message because he's not preaching Christ. He's preaching you, and he's preaching you wealthy. But Jesus doesn't promise wealth to his believers in this life. He promises persecution, suffering, and separation. That's what he promises, because the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Maybe that's the reason why the folks at Elevate Life Church aren't preaching the cross, because really, they're perishing, and the cross, well, that's foolishness. Because if he really thought it was the power of God, that's the message he'd be preaching. We're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.